going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of your favorite chillest state pod- politics podcast, Chilling in the State House. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the state government and politics team at the Topeka Capital Journal. I'm joined by my better half, Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you doing, sir? Doing well. Really glad that it's October and Chilling in the State House is starting to get a little bit chillier. Ooh. Yeah, we actually have fall weather here in Kansas now. What a concept. Yes. And uh, we even took a field trip to legendary Topeka Spot Perebskis for chili, which is a must-do in Kansas fall. Although you were actually having some IT issues, so you didn't get to join. But we'll we'll make sure you get some chili at some point. Yes. I'll, for the next podcast, we'll have chili while chilling in a chilly October state house. Perfect. Looking forward to it. And we have to apologize to your dear listeners. It's been a while since we chilled in the state house and we're we're happy to be back with quite a lot to talk about. Today though, we're going to focus a bit on schools and we talked about schools in the context of COVID-19 from a virus perspective. And we might do a little bit of that today. But we have a lot of talking points related to the actual substance of what is going on in schools. So if you are an educator or a parent or a student or a concerned citizen who just wants schools to go back to educating people instead of talking about a virus, we have plenty of that for you today. And we also have some COVID-19 stuff. So (laughs) we have a little bit of everything. And we should say that this is, um, we're going to kind of take a 10,000 foot view of things, but a lot of this came out of a state board of education meeting this week, uh, or two days of meetings, we should say. And, you know, sometimes the state board of education meetings are a little bit like watching paint dry. This week was not really one of those. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I think we can sink our sink our teeth into and, and kind of talk a little bit more broadly about uh, education policy and, and where things are going. Yes. Andrew had the fun job of watching the paint dry during hours <laughs> of meetings this week to be able to distill this uh, education policy into a 15-minute podcast. <laughs> well, whew. We're going to see if we can live up to the 15-minute ideal and, <laughs> and see how we do on that. Um, two kind of big areas, and I think we'll take first things first. The COVID-19 pandemic, you all, we I guess we promise not to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it because it's important, has had a pretty profound effect on Kansas schools. And we got kind of a snapshot of that effect on Tuesday when uh, Kansas Education Commissioner Randy Watson uh, was talking to the to the State Board of Ed a bit about some of the data points from the annual data digest, the annual dive into into from a numbers perspective and how Kansas schools are looking. And you know what we saw will probably not surprise people, but fifteen thousand fewer students enrolled, which is about in keeping with the drop off we saw last year. So that drop off has maintained. Students are not coming back to Kansas schools who left during the pandemic. We saw a rise in chronic absenteeism. We saw a tripling of truancy. And uh, we also got kind of a interesting snapshot from the teacher end of things. You know, 
seems like everyone has staffing shortages now, and, and the teaching workforce in Kansas is no exception. We saw a 62% increase in teacher vacancies. That's a lot. I mean, that's, you know, it was about 700 last year, uh, 770, which was good news. It was a decline for the first time in many years in the number of open teacher spots in Kansas, but that number has skyrocketed to a, a little over 1,200. For context, that's about 3% of all teaching roles in the state are open. They're like 40 thousand some full-time teachers in the state of Kansas. And uh, a lot of those teachers, or some of those teachers at least, are leaving explicitly due to COVID-19. And Jason, I know we want to talk a little bit about the, the virus state of things in schools, because I think that's related. But you know, teachers who are afraid because there are not mask mandates and the kinds of things we've talked about on the podcast in the past are, are leaving. And... Um, you know, uh, Commissioner Watson said this is a challenge the likes of which the Kansas education system has not seen in its history. I mean, we're talking like World War Two, <laughs> World War One level. You know, this is this is kind of a singularly unique event, and and obviously that we don't have to tell you all that. So, and it's not just teachers; it's administrators and bus drivers and substitutes. Right. Yeah. It, thinking about all the various pieces you need to make schools run. Yeah, you're right. It's really all of those things are are hard to come by in schools. And it's it's across the state, but you know, rural Western Kansas is hardest hit. Special ed, which is an area which was already having teacher shortages before the pandemic. Uh, really serious shortages. Uh that's gotten worse. And the same thing in, in elementary school classrooms. So the state of affairs, uh, obviously, you know, KSDE, school districts are insisting they're providing the best education possible, but it gets at the generational challenges that are coming out of educating kids during COVID. And on the kids front, was there any indication of certain age groups or grade levels being most affected? I know that a year ago, it was primarily kindergartners and preschoolers out mm. who were not starting school. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting, and you know we'll get I think a, a firmer sense of some of the uh, you know I think there, there's a lot to dive into in the granular data. We also don't have graduation rates yet; those come out in will probably be out maybe at the next state board of education meeting. And we also don't have the results from last year's state assessments, which they did not do in 2020. We will get some idea and might not might might, might be kind of a shock to the system when we finally get those in. But to your point, there was data that looked at um, how many students had a learning environment that had a lot of changes. So surveying of students. And and there, it seemed like the most, unsurprisingly, the most dramatic effects were in the middle and high school levels. You know, these are age groups which are already going through a lot of changes. I think everyone out there listening to this who is a teenager can attest to. And, you know, piling on top of that are already social, maybe socio-emotional challenges going on at home. And then you add in the uncertainty of the pandemic on top of that. And, and the students in, in the big school districts across the state who were changing teaching modalities regularly during the pandemic, going from virtual schooling to hybrid learning to in-person, 
back to hybrid, back to virtual. You know, it was all over the place. And, you know, Dr. Watson noted that and, and noted the, the ongoing challenge with kind of making that up. And, and you know, in terms of kind of recovering some of the, the lost the learning loss, you know, there are federal funds that have been appropriated specifically and they're required to specifically be used for making up for those gaps. It will be interesting to see, and we have some sense of how districts are going to use that. It will be interesting to see going forward, however, as obviously the pandemic is still a live issue to say the least, you know, who gets caught up, who doesn't, and who is affected by this moving forward. I'm sure it's a difficult uh, a, a difficult challenge to figure out how to make up for learning loss when you don't even know how much learning has been lost. You, you don't know exactly what the achievement gaps are from pre-pandemic to now, and we're still in the midst of a pandemic. So it, right. you, you can't really implement yet a way to recover that lost learning. Well, and Dr. Watson made that point that, you know, it's it is a generationally serious challenge for educators, but he compared it to a hurricane. You know, a hurricane is relatively slow moving. You're from Kansas, so you don't get these out here, but but being from the East Coast, you know, you'll get rain for days from, from a hurricane. And, and he made the comment that it is because the pandemic is sticking around and, you know, you're having to, to figure things out on the fly. So uh, speaking of the pandemic being around though, Jason, I want to ask you because you have been listening to a committee stood up by the governor that is focused on COVID in schools. How are things going on that front? Can schools feel like they are coming out of the woods a little bit from kind of the, the, the low point that we were at uh, uh, maybe six weeks ago when we last talked about the how education's doing in Kansas. Well, so I, every Wednesday, the governor has a Safer Classrooms work group that meets at 1 p.m. You can watch it on YouTube on the governor's YouTube channel. Jason might be the only other one watching, so you should go give him some company. When I was watching uh, this past Wednesday, I think I was one of three people. <laughs> uh, the, the, I was the, kidding, but apparently... The, 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 the discussion is very interesting uh it's worth the watch uh maybe it's just people can't watch it live at one o'clock because they're at work or at school or wherever else they are true uh so i i haven't gone back to see if more people have watched it since then but every week they go over metrics in kansas schools uh we have now seen two weeks of improvement especially in the number of clusters. So as of Wednesday, there were 56 school active outbreaks in Kansas. So for those 56 schools, the pandemic might not be getting better, but that's an improvement from, I believe it was 89 or so. Maybe it was 84 active outbreaks a couple weeks ago. Uh, And state public health officials have been collecting data on this and the size of the outbreaks and the number of outbreaks and masking policy what they have found is when you ma- when you mandate masks you have fewer outbreaks and if you do have an outbreak you have an outbreak that affects fewer students perhaps unsurprising but important to know nonetheless i think right it 
I would think most doctors would tell you that is what they would expect to happen. But now Kansas has data to back that up. And of course, this isn't a controlled study of any, of any kind. It's just observational data, self-reported information. There's all kinds of limitations. But from what we are seeing in Kansas, masking works to help keep students safe and in the classroom. And I think you, I mean, we saw that when we talked last time, the districts that were having massive outbreaking were pivoting almost immediately to requiring some sort of masking. And things got better. Right. And to be clear, there's a lot more than just masking that goes on. And state officials say the three major things to keep students safe are masking, vaccination, and testing. There are, And there are more things, too, like having good ventilation and social distancing and washing your hands. Uh, testing, according to Randy Watson, has been an easier sell for some districts. So they, a growing number of districts are implementing state-funded protocols for testing students, voluntary testing of students, to help identify people who are sick. It might not be a school outbreak. They could have gotten infected out in the community, but by testing, they're keeping the rest of the students safe and in the classroom. And if you are exposed to an infected student, by testing, you get to stay in the classroom. Not bad. Yeah, I, and I think that's the goal of everybody, no matter your political views, whether you work in education or not, the goal is to keep students in the classroom learning and safe. What they're learning in the classroom, though, is going to be a topic of debate next legislative session. That was a good segue, I think. I'm proud of myself on that one. Yes, we are now less than a month away from your local school board elections. Yeah, which is really kind of increasing the drumbeat on one issue in particular, and that is the 10,000-pound gorilla in the room, critical race theory. And, um, you know, I think (laughs) this is a complicated issue in many ways, and it was one that was brought up. uh, Legislators had a forum with the State Board of Education trying to play a little more nicely with each other than they have in the past. Uh, there have been some tensions between the two entities. And one of the things that was brought up is uh, CRT. And it's worth pointing out much of what legislators were alluding to as being a problem that they take umbrage with going on in schools at the moment is not critical race theory. Critical race theory has a very specific academic definition and a lot of complaints nationally about what are going on in schools, regardless of whether or not you think they are valid, uh, are pretty objectively not critical race theory, which is a postgraduate, largely postgraduate um, framework for for viewing the world. As somebody with a four-year degree from K-State, critical race theory never came up in any of my classes. And, you know, that's the experience for, for most people. And and the idea that it's being taught in, in Kansas K-12 schools is, uh, there's no signs that that's the case. There are plenty of things that people are objecting to, uh, trainings for teachers on, on diversity issues, uh, certain, the decisions of certain teachers in their classroom with their curriculum and what they're choosing to teach and the decisions of certain school districts as, as to how they are handling the teaching of issues of race but to be clear 
critical race theory is something different. That being said, that's not really going to matter yeah. <laughs> much. It is, uh, as as the chair of the Senate Education Committee said uh, the other day and with the Board of Education, it is the number one issue in some local school board races with some uh, national groups that are taking stances on critical race theory, even funding and, and endorsing in, in Kansas school board races. So as, as you alluded to, this is, this is going to be an issue next month. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I were an education reporter covering school board races so I could see how people were debating this issue because I don't know how you debate an issue where you can't agree on a definition for the term because as you said critical race theory does not mean what most people think it means the debate about teaching and diversity and equity and inclusion and how you should go about that is It's going to get interesting. I think maybe we'll... <laughs> yeah. It, it, not to say that the debate is wrong to have or right to have, but the way it is defined makes it even more difficult when you you can't even agree on the same set of facts, terms really, and facts yeah. when, when you approach the debate. Well, and... and the debate will be had, we should say, next legislative session starting in January. I think there is no doubt about that. No matter how the school board races in November turn out, that's not going to be the end of it. And Kansas escaped, unlike other states, Missouri, Texas, Idaho. Kansas escaped having this debate last session. It was one we did not have, which means I think there are a lot of people in an election year who are really looking forward to making a point one way or the other in this issue. And already four lawmakers have, have said they have plans to introduce, uh, all Republicans introduce bills that would apply to banning critical race theory. And we're not 100% sure of the language on that. Uh, it will probably be a little bit like more like Missouri, the bills in Missouri and Texas, which were a little wider in scope. And, and um, you know, I think to your point, the State Board of Education put out a statement uh, kind of in conjunction with KSD basically saying this isn't happening in K-12 schools. And legislators, um, I think, not even necessarily arguing one way or the other in critical race theory said correctly, I think, that that is not good enough. They're going to need to have, you know, that's bringing that statement to a legislative hearing on critical race theory next session is going to be like bringing a pickle fork to a gunfight. They're going to need a lot more. They're going to need some some answers for the kinds of questions that legislators, with whatever set of facts they're bringing to the table, uh, will have for them in, in terms of what's going on in Kansas schools. And critical race theory is a interesting study or look at how different government branches work together. Uh, you have the legislature. You have the State Board of Education. You have local school boards. And all of them are talking this issue. And in the end, who has the final say over what students learn in the classroom? Right. It really, I mean, at the fundamental level, it comes down to local school boards, which is why, to your point, the elections next month will be a really interesting case study. Um, 
but the other two groups you mentioned as well play a role in that and it will be you know the 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 debates over local control will be really interesting, especially for legislators here in the, the state house. There are legislators here who either were teachers or school administrators or superintendents or board school board members, all of whom who will have things to say, I think, on on this issue. Um, and 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 unrelated ones. I mean, that there was a, an allusion the other day to legislation that would require parents have a lot more time and ability to review the kind of books that their kids are being taught in school. You know, there was comments made that uh, about one school district where a middle school English book was like border, borderline pornographic. We don't know what book. We don't really know the details. So, you know, that could be apocryphal. But you know, it gets at a broader national debate that will coming to Kansas. And there's also the broader national debate of the FBI and investigations into threats to school board members, both over COVID, I think primarily over COVID, but I bet critical race theory plays a part in that too. Anything that gets angry parents out to school board meetings, I bet will probably be purview. And and reading politician statements on this, it's kind of like everybody agrees that making a threat is a crime and should not be done but does investigation into those threats lead parents to be afraid to speak out at school board meetings well and to that point i i mean dr watson was talking that COVID is a singularly unique event in the history of kansas schools and far as academic achievement the combination of the broader political climate, COVID-19, and a reexamination of race in the U.S., I think is kind of produces a unique mixture of events that make this maybe the most politicized time in the history of Kansas education. So, and and one, one real quick, I think, last area to dive into, um, legislators, and this gets at the academic achievement end of things, Republicans, as we've discussed on this podcast before, are kind of rankled that they're spending more on schools. This is through a, a, a result of a series of court orders over the years that um, Kansas courts have said that the legislature has to increase funding. Legislators did so last year, a 5% funding increase for, the, for this fiscal year, amounting to about $263 million. And... They are saying that state assessment test scores are really not going in the right direction. There are fewer kids in the top two achievement levels on, the, on their language arts and math test scores than there were five years ago. And, you know, there's a whole debate over whether the, the test scores are the way to measure achievement. Kansas Department of Education acknowledges they still have a ways to go, but they're pointing to kind of an ongoing revamp of what schools look like as as one po- as one uh, big piece of the puzzle. But I think um, you know, Jason, you you uh, unfortunately weren't here for School Choice Gate 2020, 2021. Uh, still this year, but um, I think that this is probably underscoring that legislators are going to be taking a look at uh, ways of whether that's school choice or or just tying certain benchmarks to funding that, you know, they're going to try and, from their point of view, get their money's worth. And as always, issues involving money, 
can eventually lead to or be connected to issues involving staffing because you have to pay the teachers. And I, I believe there are studies underway to see why teachers are leaving the profession, whether that's early retirements due to not wanting to deal with COVID or concerns over pay, whatever the issue could be. But issues related to funding are going to be tied to issues related to staffing. Well, and school districts will absolutely be making that case, especially like thinking about school choice. Anything that from their view could divert money from their coffers will be, they're going to make that case saying, you know, we're already having a hard time getting teachers. The Kansas schools have finally gotten pay up, starting pay up, average starting pay, average uh, teacher pay across the board up to the point of being competitive nationally. They're going to make the case that they don't really want to go back to when we were 40th in the country for that. Um, it's safe to say January is going to be fun. Oh, and the next session is going to be fun, I think. Yes, though uh, for you parents out there of younger kids, it sounds like within the next month or so, you should be able to get your children vaccinated. That's true. So if that's one of your concerns, hopefully before Thanksgiving, you'll be able to get that part of your concerns out of the way. The rest of the concerns, well, yeah, time will tell. But, uh, well, Jason, I, oh, we covered a lot. Um, and, I had my head spinning a little and, bit. And we didn't even get into college enrollment numbers that <laughs> came out two weeks ago. We might have to save that one for a separate podcast, but you can get caught up on that, all of our education news, and really all of our state government news at cjonline.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. TikTok maybe at some point, who knows? At CJ Online. And Jason, where can they find you? At Jason underscore Tid on Twitter. I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And if you like listening to this podcast, which we really hope you do, and frankly, if you're still listening at this point, you're probably a big fan already, go follow us. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or if you're lazy, we're just on cjonline.com and we come out most Mondays when we think to record. Uh, but we will be committing to more regular recordings in the run up to session and through all of next session. So we are making a promise to you, dear listeners, that we will be back in full force. Isn't that exciting, Jason? Yes. Even more exciting is that it's finally sweater weather. Go dust off that sweater, folks, and we will see you back next week. Same time, same place. <laughs>